9, 12, 10, 28, 2, 23. This is Deep State Radio, coming to you direct from our super-secret studio in the third sub-basement of the Ministry of SNARK in Washington, D.C., and from other undisclosed locations across America and around the world. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Deep State Radio. I am your host, David Rothkopf, and I'm here in New York City, where it's absolutely beautiful. That's not true in London, England, where we find Corey Shockey, is it? (laughs) No, it's very cold here. I just got back from California, and this is a very cold island in April. Well, you know what T.S. Eliot said about April there? It's the cruelest month. It is the cruelest month, but it also ends up breeding lilacs out of the dead land. Oh, I did not know that. That's the second line of the poem you're referring to. So there you go. Um, yeah, when when I was in college, for some reason, we decided, because we were erudite Ivy League students, that we needed to do something appropriate. And so we wrote the entire text of the wasteland on the wall between my room and the guy down the hall in our dorm. Oh, and- that is an excellent college student exploit. David, no, you guys must have been extremely irritating. <laughs> I know. And the, and the other guys down the hall were drinking beer and, you know, I don't know, throwing rocks at each other. No, that's exactly right. But the, the university would then bring tours of parents up to say, see what kind of graffiti. <laughs> so, David, you're telling us you were teacher's pet. Well, uh, uh, uh. it probably worse. It sounds like like the president's pet, you know, I, he made I the was, tour guide. Yeah, <laughs> I was the president of the dorm at the time. So in any event, um, uh, yeah, no, it's sad. Very sad. In in any event, uh, we also have with us, as you've managed to pick up, uh, as is usual, Rosa Brooks, who's in a car somewhere, and we think that maybe Rosa was not actually installed as some fancy professorship at Georgetown, but has it been installed as a fancy named Uber driver someplace? Is that why you're driving a car? I, I had to I had to use a, a chisel to get myself out of that goddamn chair, but but no, here yeah. I am. I've, I've been set free. Oh, and you are now on a highway someplace. Okay, as long as David is showing off his erudition, uh, that business about being chiseled out of an armchair reminds me of the P.G. Woodhouse line that she settled into the armchair and it fitted her as though they were cutting them tight around the hips this season. Nice. Wow. That's impressive. I'm afraid I went through a P.G. Woodhouse phase at one point where I like read all those Jeeves books, and I. There's there was, so much fun. There are a lot of fun, and there's not a lot of people who write funny books, you know. Um, so it was it was it was a it was a good phase, uh, and Evelyn Farkas, who doesn't need funny books to be kept cheerful because <laughs> she's, she's been because- doing. You know, Russia all this time. What else <laughs> would she need? Yes, I, there is a lot to laugh about, I suppose. 
Well, yeah, one of the things we're laughing about here, folks, is a strange phenomenon in the United States government where apparently nobody is at home. And I just thought we'd talk about this a little bit for a second before we get to some developments around the world. Because, you know, at the moment, let's just take the Department of Homeland Security, which is the second largest security agency in the U.S. government. There's no secretary. There's no deputy secretary. There's no head of the Secret Service. There's no head of FEMA. There's no head of ICE. There's no head of science and technology. There's no head of policy. There's no inspector general. And there's no customs and uh, bureau chief since he's now the acting. Um, but that's just one department. There's no secretary of defense. There's no UN ambassador. Uh, many other ambassadorships are open. Other cabinet posts are open. Now, there are a couple of ways to look at this, um, but I thought I would just go around and turn to you who are seasoned Washington professionals and ask, should we be bothered by this? Or is this as Mick Mulvaney, the president's acting chief of staff, um, uh, uh, said, it's just the norm, or one of his characters there said, this is just the normal turn of events in Washington, and there's just normal turnover, and having nobody in any of these jobs, including, by the way, no Secretary of Defense for almost 100 days now, is normal. Corey? No, it's not normal. Ordinarily, people who get elected to the highest political office in the land fill the administration with seasoned political people, business people, civic leaders, um, uh, academics who are uh, knowledgeable in the field that they are going to work in uh, and committed to the president's political agenda. And the only thing most of President Trump's senior appointees have in common is that part about his agenda. Actually, I take that back because the Trump administration has fractured the political science um, expectation of a unitary executive because nobody, there seems to be no interagency coordination, which is evidently the National Security Advisor's preference for arranging interagency coordination. Uh, the chief of staff in the White House cannot compel cabinet members into line. Uh, talented people leave the administration and they cannot get talented people to replace them because President Trump is a reputation killer and apparently sees no um, barrier to committing illegal or unconstitutional acts. So uh, David, I, did you list the head of the Secret Service as Oh yes. Okay. Oh yes. Because there's that, too. Um, no, it's not normal that you have acting everything in the administration. I think it's a combination of the fact that the president has no idea how anything works. Parenthetically, we should perhaps count our blessings in that regard. And second, that after the way President Trump has treated literally everybody who isn't in his family who's been around him, uh, you can't get talent into the administration. And the president appears to want weak and supine cabinet members. 
Well, yes, and one of the consequences of all of this, Rosa, is that a lot of power falls to a couple of people in the White House. So, for example, while we have this crisis at the southern border, while we're also seemingly having a security crisis that the, security, the, the Secret Service might be looking at at places like Mar-a-Lago and so forth, it seems like the president wants most of these decisions to be made by young Stephen Miller, 33-year-old Stephen Miller, who was announced as the head of U.S. border policies, immigration policies, affecting much of our foreign policy, a man whose record has been, shall we say, um, checkered and probably someone who tore the legs off of small animals as a child. Um, but uh, perhaps you have a different view of Stephen Miller, Rosa. <laughs> Um, no, no, I think he probably, I have a totally different view. I think he actually dissected small animals for fun while they were still alive. Um, but, but, so there's a, there's a super paranoid and a less paranoid read of um, what's been going on. I think correlated out very, very well um, in terms of just what's happening. Here's the non-paranoid read is the one that Corey offered us, which is that this is all being caused by President Trump's extreme incompetence and lack of familiarity with how government works. And, you know, so he's just too much of an idiot to do anything other to, to, to fill these jobs the way he ought to. He's too much of an idiot to understand that having some kind of normal interagency process would enable him to further his policy agenda most effectively. Um, uh, he's too much of an idiot to be able to keep himself from you know, having temper tantrums and firing even loyal aides who fail to magically accomplish his objectives overnight. Thus, we see uh, the Kristen Nielsen at Homeland Security having been fired despite having been an absolute loyalist, the total, you know, hatchet woman for, for Trump. Um, so, so that's the, the non-paranoid read is that this is all just about incompetence, lack of self-discipline and general stupidity. Um, and, and I do think that that is the most likely accurate explanation, but but just for the heck of it, let me offer you the more the more parent the, the more paranoid explanation, um, which is that Trump is also you know using the playbook of all tyrants everywhere, which is that you eliminate any independent source of power. Um, you don't want cabinet secretaries who have their own constituencies and power bases and networks of influence and so forth, uh, and who have sway with Congress or the press, um, because they're rivals, you know, that they're rivals for power, that even if they're nominally furthering your agenda, they have the ability to thwart it should they decide it's in their own self-interest to do so. Um, you can never trust them, much better to essentially defang the alternative power sites within the federal government, meaning, you know, other departments and agencies, by ensuring that there is no leadership um, and no ability to behave as a unitary executive, no, no ability even to behave as a unitary department, because the only unity of, of executive power that Trump wants is, is himself and his family. You know, he's displacing career uh, uh, civil servants and so on with the advice of, of a tiny circle of trusted people, most of whom are related to him by blood or by marriage, and a small number of whom, like like Stephen Miller, are, are you know, 
trusted lackeys who have no independent power base, you know, who are roundly loathed by members not only of the Democratic Party, but apparently by all members of the Republican Party, uh, and whose loyalty is, is only, who owe, who owe everything to Trump personally. And that's how you centralize power. Uh, and that, that, you know, so the paranoid version says this is not an accident, this is not incompetence, uh, this is the plan, and that the anxiety that has been voiced in some quarters about, you know, if Trump doesn't win the 2020 election, is he actually going to leave? Uh, is not completely ill-founded because in all kinds of ways he is behaving exactly like a man who is planning uh, for future exercise of tyranny. And that, ladies and gentlemen, was our super paranoid correspondent reporting <laughs> from... <laughs> well, I mean, you know me. I always she makes a very plausible case, though, David. No, she certainly does. Yes. And, you know, I would go a step further, Evelyn. I would say that whether you know you're super paranoid or you're not paranoid at all, there is the consequence here, and the consequence here is that you're eliminating the Senate from the equation. I watched Game of Thrones. I know how this stuff works. I'd li- I like to hear that. I like to I like to hear that because that's where most of my understanding of how this works comes. But but you know the the some, some in some cases, for example, it, uh, when the attorney general was not around, this the the president tried to pick somebody out of the line of succession. Uh, he also did that at DHS. By the way, he went to somebody who was not the natural uh, second choice within the DHS. Uh, realm. But in all of these cases, what they do is they put in people who are one way or another weakened, which adds authority within the White House. And so it increases the power of the president and those closest to the president. And it makes it run more like the Trump organization, which is a little family business and not like the government. Yes. And last night when the news broke about uh, Kirsten Nielsen having been fired by the president, I was reading this very interesting story in Rolling Stone about President Trump and how many psychiatrists have essentially um, diagnosed from afar, arguing that the countervailing argument to the rule that, that that the Goldwater principle that prohibits psychiatrists ethically from diagnosing from afar, the countervailing rule is the harm to society. So basically saying that that harm to society could happen if they don't diagnose from afar. A number of psychiatrists have pointed to the president's mental health and have said it's very likely, you know, they're not going to be definitive because, again, they don't have him under their care, but it's very likely that he has narcissistic personality disorder. And if that's the case, um, what that means is that he has a different, among other things, he has a different version of reality, right? And I mean, and let's try not to laugh because of course it sounds funny to us. The crowd size was bigger than Obama's and all these other lies. But if you go to him and you try to challenge his reality, given this kind of disorder, he will stick to his guns and rather get rid of the messenger, right? So if Kirsten Nielsen comes to him and says, listen, Mr. President, shutting down the border isn't going to solve the problem, of the, you know, the asylum seekers um, Off with their uh, head. Pro- withholding assistance to these foreign countries isn't going to solve the problem, right? If he doesn't like these answers, that they don't comport with his reality, he's going to eliminate the people who come to him with the different 
version of events, if you will. And so, you know, reading this article and in the light of her firing, I thought to myself, well, there'll probably be more firings because it's not just the way he likes to run the Trump organization. It goes deeper than that if you believe what these psychiatrists say, which is to say he runs the Trump organization the way he does because he has a personality disorder, if you will, of, of some, some gravity that requires him to have people around him who will more or less agree with his vision because anything that you know diverges from his vision is viewed as psychologically threatening. Well, that's a very interesting analysis. And by the way, I, if we were like a big budget radio show, I'd want to make sure that we saved a clip of Rosa in the middle of that saying off with her head um, that we could use <laughs> periodically. Okay, um, again, you want me to say that again? Yes, please. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I can do a cackle, I, too. If you want me to cackle, I can cackle. I feel like we should offer to record it on Deep State Radio Nerds answering machines as a reward for something, David. Yeah, that's a good idea. Because people don't have answering machines anymore, guys. Yeah, that's Well, they really... have cell phones. Yeah, that's yeah, what but... she meant. She no, didn't no, mean no, no, answering no. machines. <laughs> She didn't mean she that did. little box that attaches to your landline. No, land she actually line. meant answering machines. You mean that, people like, don't have blinks. them anymore? What? <laughs> I think they only have them in hotel rooms now. Oh, my God. Corey is still in the 19th century, and she has a Scrivener in her house. I'm telegraphing notes. this. In. That's exactly <laughs> right. With gloves that have the fingers' ends cut off. Yeah, exactly. Exactly right, David. Bartleby. Okay. Hello, Bartleby. I prefer <laughs> not to. <laughs> well, so you know, we we you know, it's of course it's hilarious that we have a crazy person in the White House and the government's completely falling to shambles all around him because you know that's comedy. But uh, uh, as we as we think about it, Corey, um, let's just pick a couple of dimensions, or let's just take one dimension of this. Okay, the Defense Secretary's been out for a hundred days or so. Uh, there's no Air Force Secretary. Uh, there's no UN ambassador. Uh, the second largest national security agency is just gutted. Um, there's no White House chief of staff who tends to coordinate uh, meetings uh, in times of crisis. Um, the, the president's not really speaking to the intelligence agencies who actually do have bosses there. Um, the, the sort of the national security side of the US government at a moment when the North Koreans are building weapons, when the president's ratcheting up tension with Iran, when he says there's a crisis on the southern border, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, is absent without leave. You know, there is no leadership there. Um, and yet there doesn't seem to be a lot of outcry from people, certainly from the Senate, but others on the Hill, to suggest that perhaps this is worrisome um, just in terms of the basic you know, like doing the job of keeping the country safe. So I have two reactions to that, David. Uh, one is that um, we ought not be newly disappointed in the lack of congressional oversight over the Trump administration because my fellow Republicans in Congress have not been distinguishing themselves in the exercise of their Article I responsibilities. Uh, the, the second reaction I have uh, makes me want to blow a kiss to Lauren DeYoung Schulman at the Center for a New American Security uh, and the Bombshell podcast, 
which is to say the civil servants in all of these departments of government are doing a wonderful job for the American people. And they are, you know, day in and day out uh, acting in roles that were intended to have senior political appointees in. And yet they are stepping up and doing good work for our country. I think, I mean, Venezuela policy is my favorite example because while the White House now likes to pretend that the vice president is in charge of it, it looks to me like we have gotten reasonably good Venezuela policy as a result of nobody politically appointed in the administration paying any attention to it. Um, and that the career professionals in the diplomatic corps and in the treasury department have been doing good work for us all. So, so uh, my first point is, well, it'd be great if Congress did their job and started stomping and hissing about this. Uh, second point is I'm sure grateful for the professionalism and dedication of the civil servants in the national security bureaucracy of our country because they're serving us all well. I guess my third reaction, though, is that this makes for a very brittle system if you don't have a team of seasoned policymakers accustomed to working together who, at by this point in an administration because we have gotten so fortunate so far that we haven't had a major foreign policy crisis under the Trump administration. But now if we have one, without the stabilizing good judgment of Jim Mattis as the defense secretary and other uh, stabilizing forces in the administration who, as Rosa said, were independent political actors and had independent national security judgment, that this is going to be a much more brittle system and prone to failure in crisis. Uh, yeah, that's certainly true. Now, Rosa, just to go back to your, your focus on this thing as the super paranoid correspondent here, some of the articles that are talking about what happened within the Department of Homeland Security are actually using the word purge. And one of the reasons they're doing it is they point out that not only did Kirsten Nielsen leave, but the head of U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services, the Secret Service Director, as we mentioned, the agency's general counsel have all been pushed out, and others may be pushed out as well, all within a couple of days. And so it suggests that the White House is very unhappy with the way that um, Homeland Security has been working. But we also know that one of the things that they've been getting from Homeland Security is, uh, and this goes back to Evelyn's point, they've been getting um, responses in the negative when they say, well, let's shut down the border. And DHS says, well, you can't actually do that or let's separate. And apparently the president's been pushing for this more families. And Kirsten Nielsen says, well, actually, courts have been ruling we can't do that. And it looks like everybody in this agency who provides pushback or makes the president uncomfortable is getting pushed out. Now, not only is this a, a potential um, problem within DHS, but it does send a pretty chilling message to other cabinet agencies, no? I, I mean, oh, if I could sure. jump in. Oh, sorry. Was it Rosa? Yeah, it was Rosa, go, but go ahead. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> go, jump, go, jump go away. Okay, go ahead. Evan. Well, no, no, I was just going to say, I mean, you know, it's just like, uh, well, all the kind of hints we got about Secretary Mattis pushing back on various things, you know, 
uh, no troops to the border. Okay, troops to the border, but not armed, you know. Um, I mean, again, this will all come out at some point, but my guess is that, that that was the back and forth, you know, this this constant negotiating and constant resisting, and then eventually it gets to the point where Trump says, okay, enough is enough, I want my way, you know, and but some of the some of these things are quite dangerous. I think the border the border issue is dangerous. I think the the whether we're in or out of NATO obviously is dangerous. Um, whether we're at war with North Korea or not, or whether we think they, you know, are, constitute a nuclear threat to us or not, is a big deal. So, um, you know, the, he he his denial of reality and then his desire to do things that are truly dangerous to America and, of course, morally unethical, uh, morally whatever, morally unethical. I'm not sure if that's a term, but in any event, <laughs> um, you know, it's 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 disconcerting to say the least. So. I guess the question is, you know, will there be any people to stand up to him left? Going back to something Corey said a few minutes ago, there may be ways in which it's been a blessing in disguise that we haven't had that political layer of uh, leadership appointees in the departments and agencies. You know, had they been there, they would have been attempting to advance Trump's political agenda or what they took to be Trump's political agenda. Uh, and it may be just as well that they weren't there to do that, that the layer of uh, career professionals in acting positions, instead of trying to advance Trump's policy agenda, is just trying to, you know, keep things on the even keel and advance what they see as the agenda of the United States rather than the agenda of Donald Trump. And I think Corey's right that that, that only works when there's no emergency. Um, but in a period of no emergency, it may be something for blessing in disguise. That, that said... Um, I think that it's important to remember that Trump's agenda uh, really isn't a policy agenda in any meaningful way. You know, that, that Donald Trump is not animated by a vision of the world um, and the vision, a vision of international order of a particular sort. Donald Trump is basically animated by what is good for Donald Trump. Um, and, you know, his, we see him occasionally. He's got a few remaining people of the administration who do have some independent power base. Um, weird enough, weirdly, like 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 John Bolton. Uh, and I think I'm hoping we'll talk about Iran. Uh, but the Iran policy is clearly driven primarily by Bolton. I don't think Trump cares at all one way or the other. Uh, but he's willing to, for the time being, do what Bolton and Pompeo are telling him to do. But for the most part, and I think that this is this is the key issue when it comes to places like Homeland Security and Secretary of Defense, he really doesn't care about international affairs. You know, he cares about one thing, which is monetizing his time in the White House uh, and turning that to the advantage of himself and his, his family and his immediate circle. Um, and, you know, it's not that if only he understood that he could more effectively advance his policy agenda by appointing strong people to these positions, it's, it's that he, he does, it's not that he doesn't understand that, it's just he doesn't care about advancing his policy agenda because he fundamentally doesn't have one. And to the extent that anybody, you know, that, that, that independent power brokers determined to advance a policy agenda may actually get in the way of his top priority, which is Donald Trump and monetizing his presidency. Uh, he doesn't want them, he doesn't need them. Well, Let's, you know, I mean, that does bring us to the other side of this, uh, which is the policy side of it, because 
these are not just personnel moves. They have consequences. And one of the sets of consequences associated with all of the DHS moves, as well as some of the DOD moves, have to do with our relationships on the southern border and our relationships to immigration. Uh, and it appears that Kirsten Nielsen, who was universally reviled for defending putting children in cages, uh, was not tough enough for the president of the United States or for Stephen Miller, who he has officially sort of put in charge of all of these policies, and that the move is afoot to try to find people who will put in place over the course of the next year tougher policies, more family separations, possibly shutting down the border, uh, more draconian measures on immigration. Um, and uh, the, 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 the question becomes, you know, where does this lead? The president has said apparently in meetings with other Republicans that he wants to double down on policies like this running up to the election. He sees this as the big winner for him. Corey, as you look at this, you know, I mean, the, the policies have been pretty horrific thus far. Um, uh, but, you know, you could see this damaging the relationship with Mexico, causing an enormous amount of human hardship. Um, where, do we, where does it go? Can you, where, you know, is it even imaginable to you how this gets worse? Oh, yes, David. I mean, if there is one thing reading the Greek tragedians of their golden age teaches us, it's that the gods like nothing better than to remind us of our failures of catastrophic imagination. Like, it can always get worse. It can get so much worse. Stephen Miller nominated Yay, and Republicans Polly. agreed to confirm <laughs> him. I mean, come on, there's so many ways this could be worse. Okay, um, but Fred Hyatt has an op-ed saying, let's not say that too much because we're giving then Trump a pass for this really bad stuff he's doing because it's not worse. Sorry to interrupt. Uh, that is both true and no reason not to imagine worse stuff, right? Okay, I fair don't think point. Yeah. Trump lacks for imagination about ways to damage our relationship with other countries, to enact self-defeating policies like cutting off assistance to countries of Central America, to improve their capacity to police their own territory, um, and protect their citizens. Uh, I think Rosa has it exactly right. It's not that the president, uh, you know, fails to see that this is self-defeating. It's that he doesn't care. He doesn't care about the policy consequences of these things. He doesn't care about the human consequences of these things. And that is a moral failure of such catastrophic proportions. I was thinking about this this morning because uh, one of the smart guys in my Twitter feed uh, uh, bounced a, a quote from the foreign minister of the Philippines about how the Philippines was retaining its defense alliance with the United States and not trading to China because the United States is an ally of freedom and an ally of democratic societies. And it made my heart hurt that, that I was so grateful that that's what we look like, at least to the foreign minister of the Philippines. And we squander that good credit at our peril, my friends. Uh, well, 
Yeah, that's that's certainly true. Um, but you know, we also uh, don't seem to have anybody in the White House that cares about that. They're very narrowly focused, Evelyn, as you have pointed out. And it, you know, what it leaves us with is the the prospect of Stephen Miller trying to cook up even nastier things. Uh, Corey, I don't know if you've seen it, but even in the course of just taping this, they decided to make a move to block more Cuban pitchers coming into the major leagues. Um, which... <laughs> Are you kidding? So I wouldn't blame no. that on the administration. Oh I think the, um, the epic photograph of Yasiel Puig fighting basically the entire lineup of the Pittsburgh Pirates. <laughs> uh, well... I mean, yeah, I can see. And, and, you know, I have long thought that when, when the Dodgers brought Puig across from Cuba, that they had a Mexican drug cartel ferry him into the country. And that's the one border issue I think might perhaps have merited a little investigation. Um, but, but yeah, it's crazy. And, and as, Everybody, Evelyn and Rosa, have both emphasized cruelty is the point of this, right? They don't care about the policy consequences. Yeah, I mean, it's sad. There's very little empathy being shown by this administration. And I feel like I'm now I'm hearkening back to something, a point I made, I think, I feel like I made at least previously on the foreign policy front where you know, I said that our kind of um, callous disregard for all of the bloodshed and killing and human devastation that's being visited upon the people in Syria, and that also was inflicted upon the people in Myanmar, um, that, 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 that plays into all of this as well. Like, we've, we've started to become inured to suffering, and that was suffering that was relatively far away and wasn't you know, a result of our actions. It was more a result of our inactions, which is not necessarily an excuse, but nevertheless a distinction. <laughs> now, then closer to home, we separated children from their parents. That's a result of our actions, right? But somehow we've also, I believe, unfortunately, become a bit inured to it. I mean, we're not demonstrating about reuniting these kids with their families or creating orphans or the long timelines that it's going to take now to reunite families, much less the prospect of creating new orphans and new separations. So let me conclude this particular discussion, Rosa, if we can reach you via um, uh, our, our advanced technologies in your moving car. Or via uh, Scrivener. Yeah, or via your, your Scrivener carrier pigeons. Um, uh, but the, the the question arises, the U.S. is doing a lot of bad things on the border, and many of those things are in the category of human rights abuses. First of all, there are asylum laws, and we seem to be willing to break those laws. The president seems to have no interest in them. Secondly, the way we're treating these people seems to be in violation of these laws. Uh, and at the same time, the U.S. government is pushing back on the international system of justice. But is there long-term liability for the United States or for officials from the United States for policies like these that violate standards that we've helped to set, Rosa? you mean long-term criminal liability or individual criminal liability? Yeah, or international law. 
maybe, but I wouldn't, you know, put money on it. Um, you know, as, as you all know, our, our system of international justice is imperfect and, and uneven, and it remains the case that very powerful states, including, of course, first and foremost, the United States, have an outsized influence on it. Uh, it's also been the case that presidential administrations from both parties have been, even when they loathe what the previous administration has done, have been very unwilling to cede to international uh, institutions any even jurisdiction over uh, the malfeasance of, of U.S. actors. So I, you know, in a, in a, in a theoretical sense, Yes, there could be both uh, financial liability for the United States and in certain circumstances conceivably even some individual criminal liability, um, but the second would be a stretch in any case as opposed to civil liability and even the first uh, I, I think is unfortunately unlikely given political reality. Well. That is certainly something that we're going to have to watch closely, particularly if things deteriorate further. Um, but we are in a place um, not many of us expected to be, and it seems like we are heading for an even worse place over the course of the months and uh, years ahead. Uh, in the course of the next several weeks and months, of course, we'll follow this here at Deep State Radio. In the interim, if you want more from us, go to the DSRnetwork.com, listen to our other podcasts, and join us again here uh, at Deep State Radio regularly or at uh, National Security Magazine or our other podcasts. Thank you, Rosa. Thank you, Corey. Thank you, Evelyn. And join us again in a couple days for another DSR. Bye-bye. Deep State Radio is a production of the Deep State Radio Network, a division of TRG Interactive Media. Our podcast today was produced in cooperation with Goat Rodeo Productions and was supervised by Ian Enright. Join us again for another episode of Deep State Radio. If you don't, we know where to find you.